0: Father, we thank you for the day, for being able to meet here to worship you and to uh, look into your word. Father, we think of uh, Brother Brother Laverne today, and I pray you'd bring uh, a peace to his heart, a peace to Leora's heart, and um, be with them as they're not here, and be with him as he uh, deals with these uh, issues in his health, and pray you'd help him to uh, keep His eyes fixed upon you, and that uh, He would uh, be a powerful testimony for you, even through uh, physical ailments. Pray, you'd be with us through the service. Quiet our hearts. Help us to be still and know that You are God, and to hear Your still small voice speaking to us. Pray, you'd bless the remainder of our service. Pray, him Amen. <clears throat> This past week, I've been listening through the minor, minor prophets as I drive. I don't get I um, I don't read them very often, so I thought I'd listen through them. And the book of Amos stood out to me. Um, so, and the man Amos. So I thought I'd look in a little bit into that. Um, and. Um, give a few uh, life lessons, I guess, out of there, and some uh, words of encouragement. So if you want to turn to the book of Amos, I'm going to mainly look at the man Amos, not necessarily at all his... Prophecies against um, all those mentioned here, but uh, and against Israel mainly. But I'm going to look at more of him. But to give that, I'm going to or to get us to that point, I'm going to look at a little bit of the back history, I guess. Um, just a brief overview of um, the book. So Amos was about 150 years after the division of the kingdom of Israel when Judah and Israel separated. Um, And as we all know, the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Judah didn't get along. They didn't see eye to eye on very many things, and they they just didn't really seem to like each other. But um, Israel, at this time, when Amos uh, was written, or when he was prophesying, I should say, um, it was a time of prosperity in both kingdoms. Um, They had expanded their kingdoms to about the same point um, the same point that I think it was Solomon had not quite that much territory but they had a lot of influence Um, so it was was kind of at the high point of their uh... prosperity and military conquest and influence in the in the area um... in their prosperity and in their good times they didn't see the handwriting handwriting Mm -hmm. on the wall of judgment to come and they forgot god so in all of this god sends a humble shepherd to prophesy against them um, <clears throat> and i forget what town amos went to um, for some reason beth eel sounds right but um he went to the center of the idolatrous worship to do his prophes- to prophesy and as we look, we'll see, well, that's a, a big thing um, here later on. Um, his message was judgment against the people of God for straying and not keeping his commandments. That was no easy task. He actually went, he was from Judah and he went into Israel to the north to prophesy. So if there's already contention between the north and the south, and he goes up into Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, if he goes up into Israel, and he's from Judah, he's already going to be looked down upon, but then also he's bringing a harsh message um, to the city, and he preached an unpopular message in that city. um, Facing the nobility and professional priesthood of uh, of the different gods they worshipped or things like that, he was a prophet of doom in an age of comfort and secure materialism and at a time of smiling preachers and days of prosperity. And it was only a few decades away from the nation's fall. It was a time of religious hypocrisy, as we see in Amos 5.21. Um, In the prophecy, says, I hate and despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. So there were... Uh, And it says, and though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. So they were going about all the ritual, can I say, of um, following God, but they had turned away in their hearts and they were worshiping other gods as well. Um, It was also a time of moral degeneracy. They had stooped to very, very low uh, morals. So with economic prosperity, religious hypocrisy, and moral degeneracy, does it really sound like 28 centuries ago? I think it's very applicable to our day. Um, We see it all around us, the same things. The rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, and an increase in moral degeneracy on every level. All around us, evil is being called good, and it's just mind-blowing the debauchery that goes on. Meanwhile, the interesting is, it seems like if you read some of what, there's a priest in here, I think his name is Amaziah, um, it's just, there's more and more professions of godliness, um, and he was against the prophecy of Amos, even though he was a priest, I think he's a priest. Um, so it's kind of interesting, when you look out on our culture today, there's, it does seem like there are quite a number of people that profess godliness, but um, don't live, live it out in their daily lives. <clears throat> so with all that, um, I guess we'll look more at the man Amos. Um, so I'll just read the first verse here. The words of Amos who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Asa, Azahiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. I believe they think this was written in 755 to 765-ish. But I think it's interesting. They can't really pin down the date, but the one thing that's interesting, he mentions an earthquake, two years before the earthquake. And to me, that, I mean, it might seem like just a m- passing mention in here, but at the same time, it gives, I think, weight to what he has to say because he prophesied all this before the earthquake. And um, earthquakes happen, but if everybody knows before the earthquake, it in the time then, it placed when he was prophesying and also gave... Um, gave uh, I want to say credence, but it, it um, showed that his prophecies would come true because there I mean there's God has power and I think he prophesies things about calamities like that happening. So that to me, I guess it just kind of stood out as um, he was foretelling things like this and then it happened and he's just and it's a it's a reference point. Um so the man of Amos, we know he was the a herdman of Tekoa And Tekoa is mentioned a few times in the Bible. It's ten ten miles south, I think it was. Yeah, of Jerusalem in the wilderness. It was a barren place or pretty barren place. It was rough country. Um and he was a herdman there, so he was a shepherd or of some flock of some type. And um I think Amos learned the heart learned hardness and perseverance by leading his sheep in the wilderness. Um, back up a little bit here. I skipped over something. Amos means to carry or burden. And I think he was burdened for the nation of Israel. Um, what I want to look at is what would qualify Amos for the position of prophet that he had. So, um, so uh, so one of the things that would qualify him for being a prophet is he had shepherded his sheep in the wilderness. He had learned to lead, and he had learned to persevere and to um, go through hard things. Um, I think that was a quality that he needed um, also in... chapter 7, verse 14, he was talking to Amaziah, um, then he answered Amos, then he answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman, and a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. So we see he actually had two jobs, I guess, he was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Um. No, neither of those are very, uh, how do I say it, very high up on the totem pole. Um, they're pretty lowly jobs and herdmen. And so obviously if he was in herdman in the wilderness, um, he, wasn't, might, he might have owned a flock, but he, he might have just worked for somebody, or else he was, wasn't wealthy enough to hire somebody, so he had to keep his own sheep. So we know Amos was not a wealthy man. Um, and he was not trained as a prophet. So it says, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but was a herdman. But I think despite all that, he had an awareness of the world around him, and he knew what was going on in the nation of Israel. He, pers- I think as a herdman and a gatherer of fruit, I imagine he moved around quite a bit, so he would see um, different areas of the of the, uh nation and he saw what a low state they had come come to. So 28 centuries later why are we talking about a shepherd and a fruit gatherer? Sounds like a pretty uh, pretty meager resume for a prophet. <clears throat> the only thing remarkable about about Amos is there's nothing remarkable about him. He was just an ordinary man that worked and uh, tended his flocks. I think Amos shows us that our background doesn't matter where we come from. Um, But what does matter is that God broke into his life. There in chapter 7 it says, um, and God took me, I believe it says, And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. The Lord spoke to Amos directly and told him to go prophesy. So by whose authority did he confront his generation? I think it was by God's authority. God told him to, and he obeyed. Um, We find that time and again God... uh, takes people in their regular jobs and in their normal settings going about their regular tasks and asks or and calls them to something greater. I think of Samuel when he went to Jesse to find the king of Israel and Jesse didn't even think to call David, he just called all his other sons, but he's like, just a little shepherd boy. Why would I call him to be anointed king of Israel? <clears throat> but that's who God had. Um, think of Moses and Exodus three uh, I'll turn there exists three one and two Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro's father, in law, the priest of Midian, and led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. I think that's a Um, quite a weighty statement. When he called Moses, Moses said, Here am I. And I think um, Amos did the same thing when God called him from his flock. He said, Here am I. And he went with God's message. Moses was tending his flock and Amos was tending his flock. And they were both called of God. <clears throat> I wouldn't say Amos was a man of eloquent, eloquent speech. Um, he did He did write the book of Amos. But um, I don't think a shepherd, um, a shepherd or herdsman, would be classified as a man of eloquence, eloquent speech, or uh, much learning, or things like that. So, him and Moses had that in common. <clears throat> but both of them did great things for God, and both of, Moses became a great deliverer, and Amos was a great po- prophet who had influence later on on other prophets. Um, who prophesied along the same lines as Amos. I think also of Elisha in 1 Kings, how he was out plowing the field with his 12 yoke of oxen, and Elijah came along and laid his mantle on him and called him right out of plowing to the ministry. Or Judges, we read of the angel of the Lord coming to Gideon, and what was Gideon doing? Anybody know? Yep, he was threshing his wheat. And uh, what made a thresher of wheat into a mighty judge of Israel? I think it was the calling of God in his life and him obeying that call. Or if we can look at the disciples, um, in Mark 16 through 18 it talks about the disciples there and they're definitely not prophets priests or learned men um so what what made all these men um great in the kingdom of god i think it, it was the that god broke into their lives and they yielded their will to him and were used of him so when you and i are tempted to say i'm just a farmer or, i'm just a truck driver or a uh, uh, whatever, a housewife or contractor, or you name it. That, that might be your occupation, but that occupation, that occupation can, God can break in at any time in anybody's life. And if we are at a place in our relationship with him to yield to his uh, calling, I think we can, God has prepared us through our occupations or what we do to, um, prophesy or minister in a certain way. So nothing in our day-to-day lives can, should be looked down upon or things like that. They're all, they all can be used in our preparation for ministry or something that God has for us. <clears throat> So we must do, in light of that, we must do everything as unto the Lord. Even our day-to-day tasks, washing the dishes or whatever it is, changing the oil in the truck or anything like that. We can do all to the glory of God. And we need to be open to his calling in our lives. One thing that all those men that I mentioned there, it seems they all had humility. Um... They were humbly going about their day-to-day lives when God called them, called them up to a ministry or called them to do something specific. Um, I think we have a great need for that in our day, being called to something. I think too often we see, um, I don't know, people that have an intellectual knowledge, I guess, a head knowledge of Bible or things like that, is one guy I heard referred to it as, bible talkers instead of preachers he said they're just they have all the head knowledge they've gone to school they know all this stuff and they go up and they expound upon god's word but they're just bible talkers they're, they don't have fire in their bones they don't have the the weight of god's call on their life just think as christianity as a whole the and the bigger picture or whatever, however you want to say that um, how rare it is to hear clear teaching on authority and with strength and compassion all molded into one. It's a pretty hard thing to do under your own strength. We need God to send men who are inconsequential, those who those whose resume reads like a hill of beans. Amos was nothing special. Moses, wow. Moses uh, I guess he was the son of Pharaoh or adopted son of Pharaoh, but he was banished and a fugitive. Elisha was just a farmer. Gideon was just a farmer. David, a shepherd. Uh, Peter... James and John and Andrew and we're all fishermen <clears throat> what did all those men They just, the thing they had in common was they were they were lowly men um, and humble but it was the power of God in their lives later on that set them apart from others <clears throat> What marks what marks out people like Robert Murray McChain or John Bunyan or I don't know, Whitfield or anybody you can think of like that. Denny Keniston. They had a a passion and a fire for God. It was the reality of God's calling in their lives to do something. So <clears throat> and them and them being willing to give of themselves to meet that calling. So, Amos reminds us that God chooses to exalt the humble, and that no man, that not many wise men after the flesh are called, and God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. It's from 1 Corinthians 1. Amos might have been untrained, but that's not to say he was unskilled. Um, I think it says, uh, I think I looked it up, and there was. 40, he had 40 references to, yeah, Amos makes 40 references in the, in his prophecy out of uh, the books of Moses, so obviously even though he's a shepherd man, he was, he was skilled in the word of God, he knew the writings before him, and he used those in his prophecies. <clears throat> his prophecies show a deep understanding of the times he lived in, um, in relation to those uh, those earlier books and he applied God's law from earlier to the situations at hand so he knew how to interpret and how to give answers to the people of God in an apostate age and he was bold he was very bold to go up into a to be a southerner and go to the north and preach an unpopular message Takes a lot of boldness, but also a lot of faith in God. <clears throat> um, he was a skilled communicator of God's word, he, um, even though he's just a shepherd from the wilderness of Tekoa. So, even though he was from a from nowhere, can you say he knew that his message was great, and he knew his God was great? I don't know if Amos had any reservations like Moses or Jonah, but it's a quite. I mean, it doesn't say there were any reservations, so I would think there were not, but quite a contrast from Jonah to Amos. Jonah fled when God asked him to uh, preach his word, and it looks like, I mean, from all accounts, I guess, it looks like Amos just went up and did it. I would think he had some reservations. He was just a man, though, you know, what's going to happen to me up north? Just go there and preach a doomsday message and what will happen? But as as the book of Amos shows us, that didn't stop him, even if he did have reservations or uh, questions about it. He didn't stop from preaching the truth and pursuing the call of God um, that God had given him. In Amos, we find a man equipped, prepared, and disciplined by the wilderness, but enabled by God. So he might have learned life lessons in the wilderness, shepherding, but all of those things would have been useless and come to naught if if he hadn't been enabled and called by God to go preach. The call of God is always based on his exact knowledge of his power to equip. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'll read it again. The call of God is always based on his exact knowledge of his power to equip. So God's calling in our lives, um, we can have a confidence when God calls us to something. We can have a sure, or if if our faith is in God and we have a strong faith, we can trust that no matter what God calls us to and what he calls us to walk through or go through or do, he will always equip us with the power to do it. So no matter no matter what it seems like God is calling us to do or how big it looks to us, our faith has to be in his power to equip us to do it, even though we might look like even though to us it might look like that'd be impossible. If God is calling you to a ministry, then you must be confident in the knowledge that He will provide all you need. If you rely on your own intellect, then you will never attain. If we rely and um, doubt God that he will give us the power, then we will never be able to be used the way he wants us to be. Another uh, thing I've heard is God does not call the qualified, but qualifies the called. So no man, I don't think, um, would say he feels qualified for the ministry God has given him or at least I'd hope not, because it's a big calling. But he does qualify us to do the things he calls us to. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6. Corinthians 3, 5 and 6. <clears throat> not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. <clears throat> Here we see that God is all sufficient. we are not sufficient of ourselves to do what he calls us to but our suffic- sufficiency is of god who i like how it says who also hath made us able ministers <clears throat> we can't do it of ourselves but he has given us the power and made us able to be ministers of the new testament One other thing I got out of Amos, um, sometimes you hear people debating missions and they talk about um, indigenous Christians are the best missionaries or out of culture Christians are the best best missionaries because people from the local culture respect people and they have all these different arguments. but I think one of the things that we need to look most at is the um, the call of God, because I think God can use either one um, without the call of God, we're wasting our time. So a mission, an indigenous miss, missionary that's just doing it because he's makes more money working for the missionaries, that's not gonna come out right, or um, a missionary going from a foreign country, going into a foreign country, who doesn't have that call in their life—that's also wasting their time. Um, we see in Amos, he was called from Judah to go into Israel and prophesy. Um, Jonah was another prophet that call, was called to go preach um, in a different culture, can you say, or different area? But Isaiah was called to preach to his very own people. So those are just three little examples just there in the minor prophets or the prophets there of, can I say both, going to somewhere else and also being indigenous to the other place. So um, I think more of it has to do with God's calling to the ministry and calling um, and working in our lives. And when he puts that call, call in somebody, Uh, He gives them the power to and also the openings to minister in the way that he's called them to. You read some out of Amos 5, 4 through 8, and then we'll skip down to 14. Amos 5, 4 through 8. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire on the house of Joseph, and devour it. And there be none to quench it in Bethel. Ye who turn judgments to wormwood, and leave off righteousness in the earth. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orin and turneth the shadow of death into morning and maketh the day dark with night that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Skipping down to 14 and 15. Seek good and not evil that ye may live and and so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Here we see in his prophecy of doom, him telling how they can, how they can live. Um, if they seek God, um, then they shall live. I think that also goes for us today. If we seek God, we'll have true We'll have true life life eternal. And then I, in verse 14 and 15, I was really blessed by that. It says, seek good and not evil that you may live. So not only do we seek God, but we also have to seek good things. Um, I guess they go hand in hand, but at the same time, I guess, what are we doing with our time? Are we pursuing good and right things? I think of um, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, of good report. hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gates one thing about the book of amos it talks a lot about god's judgment but then it talks a little bit about his mercy here and at the the ending um and if you look at um Often I think we focus on like God's judgments or things like that, and we don't look at the other half of things of how in the fact that when God makes, um, I say makes good on his warnings or his prophecies of judgment, that also means we can trust him for his prophecies of mercy and grace when we obey. So in closing here, I want to read out of Amos 9, the end of the chapter here, or end of the book, 9, 9 through 15. For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. In that day will I rise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the heathen which are called by my name," saith the Lord that doeth this. "Saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold, the days come," saith the Lord, "that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt." And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof, and they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. So even though the Lord is going to sift the house of Israel, here he gives a picture of can I say, re- reclaiming them or um, of better days to come if they will yield their hearts to him. <clears throat> the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed. It's a, a promise of uh, I say this? reaping much fruit and of abundance and good things but I think the the most striking verses 15 and I'll plant them upon their land and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them saith the Lord after all those judgments before in the book um, pretty harsh harsh things he said and um, harsh things that the nation of Israel went through because of non unrepentance um, God still had a place in his heart for them and had mercy upon them and it was his desire to give them their land and that they should have peace and then no more pulled up out of their land which he had given them. So I think that speaks to us if we abide in him, are open to his calling and um, his speaking into our lives and as we hear from him and follow and seek him seek the good things that he will also bring that in our hearts if I can say it that way maybe sometimes things in our physical lives might not seem that way but he will he has promised um, he has promised to if we seek him we'll find him and that if we knock he'll open and he wants I think that same desire even more so is there to Um, plant us in, can I say, his land (coughs) to establish our hearts.